You are live on Get Connected. Andy Barrar here, filling in for the one and only Mike Agarbo. I'm joined in studio with futurist and digital marketing expert, Lindsay Smith, and also our app expert, Christina Stoyanova. How are you guys doing? I'm just great. I wanted to say that in unison, Christina. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I missed my cue, clearly. (laughs) We got a great show for you today. Later on, we're going to go open line, take your tech questions and calls. If you need buying advice, we can help with that. It is spring, and it's not just about the flowers. This is when all the manufacturers release their new smartphones. So if you are interested in buying a new smartphone, we've tried all of them. So uh, call us and let us know what you're looking for and uh, your thoughts We're also going to be talking about a connected speaker in the home. In the future, you're going to be able to order eggs, bread, and even like things like toilet paper through a speaker inside your home. And so we're going to learn a little bit more of that uh, after the break. But first of all, Linz, you were at a conference this morning about future tech. Correct. I was. I was at a conference called Future Camp, and I felt like I was at home. I was with all these other future geeks. Well, you really like talking about the future of technology and, and where we're headed. And um, it's funny because before we were coming on the show, I'm like, don't even tell me what you were talking about. <laughs> Let's just do it live on air. So we're going to do that right now. Something about biogenetics. I was. I was talking about if you could live forever, would you? So we were talking about gene therapy. Um, there was a woman named Liz Parrish who owns, she's a CEO of a company called BioViva. And she, in the last year, has undergone um, gene therapy. She is the first of the human race to take gene therapy in order to reverse aging. And I find it fascinating because we are now sitting in a time when we think about the future, but we really are doing a lot of things that we've seen in sci-fi movies for so long. And uh, what's really interesting about Liz Parrish is that the uh, therapy that she has taken has pretty much reversed her age by about 20 years. What? Yeah, I know. Really? <laughs> it how, sounds. Wait, like, how old is she right now? She is in her 40s, I believe. But take this with a grain of salt, Andy. I'm not talking about she doesn't look 20 years younger all of a sudden. What's happened is if, um, bi- like biologically, you've got something called telomeres at the end of your DNA strands. So they cap each side of DNA. And what happens is those cells split over time and it degrades down. So as your telomeres get smaller or shorter, your DNA becomes more compromised. So you lose elasticity in your skin. Christina wouldn't know that yet because she's still young and beautiful. <laughs> well, thanks, Lynn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you lose things like that. You also are more prone to diseases, cancer, Alzheimer's, all sorts of things. So what happens is with this gene therapy, therapy that they're experimenting with is it actually increases the size or the length of the telomeres. And and Liz has apparently got longer telomeres now. Wow. So I, I remember uh, hearing this from Ray Kurzweil. He's like a, a big futurist, inventor. Big, we're big fans, both we of us. We are big, big fans. He says, and he's like at the top of Google right now. And Google's doing a lot of research in this as well. Mm-hmm. And what he said is around 2035, we're going to be able to basically live forever. And he's trying to, he, he's, you know, he's an old guy, but he is like taking he's 68, like 68, I think. And yeah. he takes like 100 pills a day. 
And it's really weird. He's like super smart. He is. He is. He's been an inventor his entire life. Um, and and he's he heads up the artificial intelligence unit at Google. And one of the um, passions that Ray lost his father to a heart attack at a very young age. So he started using his brilliant mind and his science to start researching, going, how do people live longer? And he actually wrote a book called Transcend. And actually, you remember the Johnny Depp movie Transcendence? I, I watched this documentary on Netflix as well about oh, okay, that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Really, really great book nine steps to um living healthier longer so that you can live long enough to take advantage of nanotechnology so what ray is basically saying in this book is there are a lot of things that you can do today to come up with a customized plan to extend your life so that you can live to the year 2030 2040 and then during that time what you'll be able to do is then he's basically saying that nanotechnology which is small small computers that you'll be able to inject into your bloodstream that will attack cancer cells attack diseases and basically provide cures um, by having small robots inside your body how do you feel about that christina you know what? I'm not that excited about it. No. Why not? Why not? You don't want who, robots inside come you? Come on. Who wants to live forever? I mean, life is wonderful, but you want to go through all of it and like the cycles and the aging and all of that. Why would you want to modify that natural? Christina, what was the average age of someone back in the 1600s? I don't know. Andy, want to uh, take a guess? I'm, I was going to say maybe 50. 50? Yes. 30 years old. 30. And guess what? killed most people 90 percent of people died from infectious diseases anyone want to take a guess what that number was in 2010 Mm. probably somewhere in their 70s 70 years old the percentage of population though that died from infectious diseases was down to three percent by the year 2010 what's happening you know my, my my stepfather had a heart attack two years ago in mexico apparently he had the best uh experience ever not having the heart attack but going through the medical system down there they put a little stint in his heart it was all done microscopically that technology didn't exist years ago so what our technology and our science is advancing all the time and it just it sounds astronomical to think that we're going to be able to live that long and i'm not saying christina you could get hit by a bus tomorrow and i'm sorry see ya you're still (laughs) gone so if you want to go just step out in front of a bus but if you did (laughs) if i'm not suggesting that you do look Look both ways, Christina, before you cross the street. <laughs> but <laughs> if you did, I, I'm telling, I, if, if there's anyone anyone could do for themselves that is interested in living longer, I highly recommend they read the book Transcend from, from Ray uh, Kurzweil. And, and and just do whatever you can to extend your life because the rate, the rapid rate at which technology is changing is is astronomical right but, now. But Lindsay, what is this going to do with our population if mm-hmm. we are all living for like ever? Because it took from the beginning of time to 1950 to reach 2 billion people on Earth. Mm-hmm. Since then, to I think it was 2010, we, we had about 6 billion. Mm-hmm. So in about 50, 60 years, we went from you know 2 billion to 6 billion. And... I don't know if there's enough food around. Like we, no, I think that's we a, need one to of die. the biggest challenges: the sustainability of having a larger population. It takes so much energy to grow our food now. What worries me is that the rich people will have this technology available for them. So if you're rich, you're going to be able to live longer, or, or maybe forever. Whereas poorer people, you're out of luck. You know. 
I think there's two considerations in that. The first one is, yes, you're right. When new technology comes to the market, it is more expensive to begin with. And it is those who have a higher level of wealth that are able to access that technology. Um, over time, though, the cost of technology does come down. I mean, if you were to say 20 years ago that everybody would have a, a, a supercomputer in their pocket, which is what I say in my signature line on my email, I mean, that's a smartphone today. And that seemed absolutely ludicrous. But that is just the norm. The other consideration is the rapid rate of change. I mean, we know with Moore's Law, and, and Ray Kurzweil talks about the accelerated rate, rate of change, basically technology doubles over time at a, or it grows at an exponential rate. And we are right 18 at the, months, every we, 18 months. For Moore's Law, yeah. yes, exactly. So we are at the elbow of exponential change right now, which means that we as human beings and as machines – not that we are machines yet. We're going to be. <laughs> Sounds like we're going to be machines. We, we are not machines yet. Uh, we are going to be able to solve more problems at a faster rate than we ever have before. That's uh, This is some really interesting stuff. You know, we never get to talk to like a futurist and about these like higher level stuff. Usually we're just talking about, you know, gadgets and smartphones. But this is a, a really interesting thing. And when we go open line, I'd love to hear what the listeners think about that as well. We have to take a break right now, but when we come back, can you imagine ordering some eggs and milk from a speaker in your home? Well, the future is there, and we're going to learn more about that after the break. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back right after this. You're back on Get Connected. Andy Barrar here, filling in for Mike Agarbo and joined in studio with Lindsay Smith and Christina Stoyanova. Right now, we're going to switch gears and talk about the connected home. It's something we talk about all the time here on the show. Are we there yet? Well, there's another player trying to get into the connected home, and that is Amazon. And to help explain this, we have our friend Omar Elikad. He's the Western U.S. correspondent for the Globe and Mail. Thanks for joining us, Omar. Thank you for having me. So, um, Amazon, last year, they announced this, this connected speaker called the Echo, Tell our listeners what the Echo is all about. So the Echo is basically, it, um, it is about a foot-long, black-tube-looking speaker thing. Um, it's about 180 bucks, and basically it has, it has essentially no buttons almost. Uh, the entirety of the communication with this thing is, is voice-controlled. So if you want to know what time it is, you say, uh, Alexa, what time is it? Alexa is the sort of onboard... Um, Amazon's equivalent of Siri, basically. You're, you're sort of computer butler in this thing. Um, and you can ask it to do all kinds of things. You can ask it to order an Uber for you. You can ask it if you have um, smart home lights. You can ask it to turn down the lights, turn down the thermostat. Um, and the idea being that as you get more and more connected devi devices in your house, um, you can use the Echo as basically your universal remote for all of these things. Well, I think, Omar, that's the big issue with this connected home. You know, you got all these different players that are trying to dominate that market. Of course, Apple has their home kit. Google's trying to get into it. But then you have other manufacturers like Wink. And the issue right now with the connected home is that you really got to subscribe to one of these platforms and they don't all work together. So is Amazon trying to bring all these different products together or are they trying to do their same kind of thing and try to dominate uh, that, that whole market? So basically, Amazon is trying to build the Google search engine of the of the connected home. So right now, if you want to look for something on the Internet, chances are you're going to go to Google. Um, Google doesn't care what website you end up at as long as you use its own search engine as the sort of middleman. 
Um, and that's what Amazon wants. Uh, so basically, you know, you can right now you can go out and buy a car. You can buy a Toyota Corolla, and if you like it, maybe you'll buy it again next time, or maybe you'll buy a different car. But regardless of what car you buy, you're using the same highway system. And that's what Amazon wants to be. Amazon wants to build the highway system for the connected home. Um, so right now they've got this thing that unless you have a million connected devices in your house, the Echo isn't all that useful. It's basically just a Bluetooth connected speaker for most people. But the idea is if they can get you to buy it now and get you to rely on it, then as you add you know, smart dishwashers and smart garage doors and all the rest of it, you're going to use the Echo as your kind of universal remote. That's all they care about is just being the middleman in that interaction. Another thing, Omar, that I, I read about, Amazon's really trying to get into the, the whole grocery business. They want to be able that you can order your groceries online and have them delivered. And that's a billion-dollar industry because everybody has to eat. And I've always wondered that. Like, I buy the same things all the time, milk, eggs, bread. I'm like... You know, we have the technology, we have technology. How come we still have to go to the grocery store to get that? And I think having a player like Amazon is going to help bring that price down because there are services that'll do that, but you have to pay a lot to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the very weird things that happened when we first got the Echo to, to review it, um, my wife had said something like Alexa and then had forgotten that she said Alexa and mentioned something about, you know, I think I have a hole in one of my socks or something. And the next thing we know, Alexa is adding socks to our virtual shopping list. Um, this thing can buy all kinds of stuff for you. It basically functions as as a way to to you know order with voice commands, whatever you want from Amazon. And, and that's a huge deal for them because, like you said, nobody's really figured out a really easy way to do that. Um, in fact, with the Echo, it's a little bit almost too easy because once you connect all your accounts to this thing, there's really nothing stopping a friend from dropping by and saying, you know, Alexa, order 300 oil drums or something. You know, like it's, it's sort of usually you have to enter a password or something. Uh, Alexa doesn't doesn't care too much about that sort of thing. So, yeah, they're very big on, on getting into the whole, you know, virtual shopping experience. Well, that's a big issue when you have it voice activated. Can it can it recognize voices? Can it know that I'm only supposed to uh, order stuff from this voice and not someone else's? As far as I can tell... There's not much in the way of security when it comes to a lot of this stuff. I mean, you, you basically, most of the time you're communicating with it with voice, and it can't really distinguish between one voice or another. I mean, anybody in the house saying, Alexa, do this, do that, it'll do it. Um, when you first attach your account to something, you do it through an app on your phone. So in that sense, you have the security aspect. So, for example, if I wanted to, when I came to attach my Spotify account to it, I had to enter my Spotify password and so on and so forth. But once everything is connected it's kind of just there. So I think they're going to have to focus on, on building a little bit more security into this thing if they really want it to be the universal remote for, you know, not just playing music and stuff, but, but some really important things like buying things from, from Amazon. I think this, what, oh, go ahead, Christina. I was just going to say, this could be really dangerous if you have kids in the house. <laughs> yeah. And the kids figure out and you, <laughs> exactly. you have a five-year-old who figures out uh, that little speaker is called Alexa. Alexa, I want candy. Yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly you got an order of candy coming to your, to your door. What about, Omar, yeah, exactly. what about, it, it's a little it's a little rough right now. I think they're still fixing that stuff. How how does Amazon's voice uh, recognition compare to Siri, to Google, and of course Microsoft has their own Cortana? I know you tried all of these. How does it how does it fare in terms of uh, understanding? Does it actually learn more from from the person talking? Yeah, it's it's weirdly good. I mean, I'm not a fan of voice controlled anything. Uh, I always feel silly talking to a machine. Um, you know, the Siri, all that stuff, I'm, I'm not a huge fan, but, but the Echo, 
for what it is, is really, really good. I've never had a situation where I gave it a valid command and it didn't understand what I was saying. Um, it also allows you to build your own commands. It's a little bit clunky, the interface to do it, but you could theoretically, you know, create commands where you could say, Alexa, I'm leaving the house now, and it automatically turns down the thermostat and turns off the lights and stuff. Um, so you can build your custom commands. It has a couple of issues, um, things like, for example, if you turn the volume all the way up, sometimes it can't hear you anymore. Um, so then you just have the speakers blasting and you have a hard time getting it to, to do anything. Um, but for the most part, it's a better voice recognition system than just about anything else I've tried. Omar, we got a, a minute left. What do you what do you think are Amazon's chances of uh, getting into the connected home and, and kind of taking over that market? I think they're good. They just got to wait a while. Most people don't have a smart dishwasher or a smart microwave. Most people don't really want one right now. Uh, I think what they're doing with this thing is just trying to sell you a glorified Bluetooth speaker in the hopes that when the connected home does come along, you've already got this thing in your house. Um, right now, it's very early going, and I'm not sure that they that they have it quite yet, but, but it's, it's not a bad device, uh, and I think that it has a future uh, for them. Omar, I want to thank you for coming on the show. If people want to get more information about you, where do they go online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Omar Elikad, or on the Globe and Mail website, globeandmail.com. That was Omar Elikad. He's the Western U.S. correspondent for the Global Mail. We're talking about the Amazon Echo, nicknamed Alexa. It's a connected speaker in the home that one day might help merge the gap of all the connected home products that are coming out on the market. We're going to go open line here on Get Connected. Take any of your tech questions or calls. If you need buying advice for a new smartphone or any gadget, let us know. The numbers 604 280 9898. If you're calling across Canada or anywhere in the world, give us a shout. 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. After the break, we're going to be taking your calls here on Get Connected. Stay with us. You're back on Get Connected. Andy Barrar here, filling in for Mike Agarbo, and I'm joined in studio with futurist and digital marketing expert, Lindsay Smith, and our app expert, Christina Stoyanova. We're going open line on Get Connected, taking any of your tech questions or calls. If you need some buying advice, if you're in the market for a new phone, tablets, computers, laptops, VR, virtual reality headsets, we can help you with that. The numbers 604-280-9898. If you're calling anywhere across Canada, give us a shout at 1-877-399-9898. I'm going to jump to the phone boards. We got Martin. Martin, what can we do for you? Hi, how are you? Good. How you doing? Yeah, good. Quick question. What's your take on those new uh, uh, Intel Octane drives? I was uh, reading up on it just the other day, and they said that uh, it's like a one pentabyte 3D NAND drive. Are you talking about an external hard drive? Is that what you're talking about? Sorry? Uh, is this, what are you talking about, an external hard drive? Is that what you're talking about from Intel? Uh, the Octane drives. I'm just reading up on it on uh, PC World, and I was wondering what's your take on this. I, I haven't heard of it. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, according to uh, PC World, it's like it's a 1.5 millimeter thick drive, and it, they say that uh, they're able to squeeze one terabyte of storage. Oh, I'm not surprised. If you look at even like micro SD cards, these are those little cards you can put into your smartphone. They have one out now. I think. 500 gigabytes and this thing is about the size smaller than a than your finger 
And the, the, the technology, Lindsay, has been amazing how they've been able to compress more and more storage. And you were talking about that, those little robots, nanotechnology. That's really come down a lot uh, over the last couple of years, especially with these solid state drives. These are like hard drives with no moving parts, kind of like a flash drive, you know, those little thumb mm -hmm, flash drives. Mm -hmm. But the storage on them is just astronomical. It's just, we're talking terabytes now. So it's no surprise that Intel has a really thin external hard drive. So what I'm really excited about is when we get to start using those external hard drives within our own brains. How do you <laughs> feel about that, Andy? You, you think about future stuff way too much, I must say. <laughs> That's what I'm supposed to do. Well, you know what's really funny is like a lot of people don't retain information in their brain a lot anymore because it's always accessible on our smartphone. If you need to know something, you can just grab your smartphone and, and think about it. Like think about how many phone numbers do you have? Both of you, I'm going to ask this question. How many phone numbers do you know like in your, in your head that you could just dictate at any point in time? Uh, pretty much just my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know less, less than six. Less than six. And yeah. do you remember before the internet and before all that, you, when we were like younger, you just have all these numbers, you, your friends, you would know all your friends' numbers. I don't know. I have both your numbers, but I wouldn't be able no, to tell you what it is. We'd be lost without our phones. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And that's what they're saying is like, it's not, intelligence is not about like retaining information. It's more going about how you find that information, you know. I think that that's only a transitionary time within this point in the history of humanity. And I think that as um, technology does evolve, it, it isn't going to be that far of a stretch for us to have small microchips that can be implanted inside of us and connected to our brain. And I know that that sounds absolutely astronomical to a lot of people, but if you look at what a lot of the scientists um, out there that are true futurists and, and people like Ray Kurzweil who have been making these predictions about what the future is going to look like um, for the last 40 to 50 years and have been able to predict it with extreme precision, uh, it's really not that far-fetched. Well, you know, you were discussing about Moore's Law, and that's what really has, has accelerated all this technology. It's like anybody knows this. If you buy a computer in about like 18 months, there's a new computer that's twice as fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, twice as small, everything's kind of complete. But what they're saying now, and I was reading an article the other day, they said that we're coming to the end of Moore's Law, that we cannot sustain that kind of development because things are just getting so small. Like, like you were saying, nanotechnology, it's getting to the point where we can't, we're almost at the end of that whole Moore's Law um, development. Yeah, we're, we're definitely getting into a space of quantum physics. Uh, the nanotechnology, which are micro, micro, micro computers that, again, you would not be able to see with the naked eye, but you could um, place in multiple locations, including the body, um, as well as connect those devices to the Internet. So, um, again, Andy, if you'll bear with me, I mean, we're talking about a potential future where you could put micro or nanotechnology inside of your body to fight diseases, to fight cancer, but also to connect to the Internet so that you can download information quicker. Um, I think about the matrix, but not quite as, as extreme as that. Um, but basically being able to connect with other people, like in the future, Andy, I might be able to actually read your thoughts through connected technology. You probably don't want to read my thoughts. <laughs> Why, Andy? What's going on in there? <laughs> a lot. There's a lot going on inside my head all the time. Christina, would I want to read your thoughts? I don't think so. <laughs> so Ray Kurzweil, sorry, I just love this guy. He's so 
like he's kind of like you. He's always thinking about the future and talking. And his predictions, what they've done, this guy's been predicting since the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And what they've done is they've looked at his predictions, and he's about 75% oh, accurate. More, more, more than that. He's about 86%. And if you look at the 14% that he hasn't gotten right, it's, it's actually not the technology that he's been off on. It's the timing. So one of his predictions, for example, that they said would come true um, it, it, by this point in history is uh, speech. Basically, he thought, that everybody would be doing speech recognition and we wouldn't be typing anymore. Sorry, not speech recognition, but actually talking into phones, talking into computers, exactly like the Echo. We are just a little bit behind the curve with that. He actually made a prediction in the early 80s. He goes, we're going to have all these networks of computers connected. There's going to be so much information that we're going to need some type of indexing system. Mm -hmm. And that is what exactly Google is. Mm -hmm. And this is like in 90, or sorry, 83 he was predicting Google. So he's been right on a lot of things. And he's got that, that singularity theory mm-hmm. where basically man and machine are going to basically become one. And uh, it's, it's like 20, 30 years. So if his predictions are right, we're going to get there. Yeah, I mean, this, the concept of singularity is the idea of building a brain that can house all of the information of every single human um, brain on the planet all in one. So we have already, IBM has already built a computer that uh, surpasses the brain intelligence of uh, a rodent. Um, he, there's predictions that within the next three to four years, we'll have built a computer that can bypass the brain intelligence of one human being. And then from there, it's exponential growth. It's amazing, amazing stuff. We're open line here on Get Connected. Give us a shot. What do you think about this, this future? Do you want to live forever if we have the technology? Do you want little robots inside you to fight diseases? Give us a shout. The numbers are 604-280-9898. If you're calling across Canada, one 399 We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, your calls. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs, here on the Chorus Radio Network, and we'll be back right after this. You're back on Get Connected. Andy Barrar here, filling in for Mike Agarbo and joined in studio with futurist and digital marketing expert, Lindsay Smith, and our app expert, Christina Stoyanova. We've gone open line here on Get Connected, taking your tech questions and calls. Give us a call, 604-280-9898. And if you're calling anywhere across Canada, give us a ring at 1-877-399-9898. Going to jump back onto the phone lines. We have Karen. Karen, what can we do for you? Hi, interesting conversation this morning for sure. And I've been wanting to call for quite some time to ask about what you guys know about technology for early onset Alzheimer's patients who are having difficulty with telephones. That's a that's a great question. Do you do you uh, have a loved one that is suffering from Alzheimer's right now? Yes, yes, young onset Alzheimer's. Yeah, and the thing about Alzheimer's is that it, gra- it starts slow and then it kind of gradually yeah. gets worse and worse. And it's really tough for family members. And, uh, you know, it's a great question that you were saying about uh, technology because there's a lot of things going on in that space. There's something called IoT, the Internet of Things. And what they're trying to do basically is create all these connected devices like in the home we were talking mm-hmm. before. But they're also doing that in healthcare as well, Lindsay. And for Alzheimer's, especially if the person, if they don't live with you, what they're going to do is put sensors in the house. So if somebody forgets to, say, uh, turn the stove off, you could put sensors there so that you'll get a notification at home that this has happened. You could also get you know, notifications if they've, if they've kind of fallen or if they're forgetful, they haven't shut the door, locked the door. You could have Wi-Fi cameras to be able to, to tap into them. But uh, it's, it is, it, dealing with someone with Alzheimer's is hard when they're not with you. 
And there are technologies basically for you to tap in or to get notifications if something happens. I would, I would agree, Andy. It's, 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 a, it's a matter of dealing with the fact that there are technologies today that make it more livable or protect people that are um, having their minds um, slowly degenerate. Um, but then there's the other side of it where we're actually looking at gene um, gene therapies like we were talking about earlier uh, or stem cell research. And I, what I really find interesting about what's going on in stem cell research is the fact that traditionally when you think of aging, you're looking at the fact that your cells are splitting and splitting and splitting to the point where they are com- completely dying and then disappearing but with stem cell research what they're doing is they're they're use they're learning how to reverse that in order to strengthen and actually rebuild cells so when you look at there's certain cells that we have in the body that creates um, DNA uh, strands that are less formed than other strands within the body and what there's there's basically been huge advancements in the last few years within that space so that you can repurpose cells within the body. Um, and that, I think, is where the, the major breakthroughs are going to start happening. Now, there's there's not a lot of success stories today on it, but they are making baby steps within this area. And I know that there are, there are hundreds of companies out there. In fact, we have a stem cell technology company right here in our own backyard here mm-hmm. in Vancouver um, that is is focused on, on doing research in that area. So I have high hopes that um, within the next five years, we're going to see huge breakthroughs. Going back to the phone lines, we got Mike. Mike, what can we do for you? Well, I'm, I'm a healthcare provider, and uh, we have an issue in British Columbia that's sort of uh, uh, economic that uh, over the last 16, uh, 2015 budget, we spent $14 billion on healthcare providers. And uh, we have to find a system that will deliver uh, something like. Uh, Amazon or uh, delivers uh, without having to pay so much money through uh, gatekeepers to get to the robotics that Christina refers to. Yeah, no, that's a, a, an excellent point. I was actually at um, I was at a conference the other day, IoT for healthcare, so IoT, uh, the Internet of Things, and one of the big discussion was. You know, you can have all these startups and they're going to create sensors and all this data that we're going to get about our bodies that can go to doctors. But the bigger question is, who owns this data? Because Apple is getting into it. They have something called CareKit. And they're basically creating different devices, opening up this platform for people to create apps and gadgets that can manage our, our, our data. But that, if Apple gets into that game, they want to control that data because that's very, very valuable. So the big question is, who owns our data in, in the healthcare world? I, and I would, getting back to the government side of things, and I, I, I always try and shy away from criticizing governments and systems that we have, but I'm not going to in this case. I think that we're not moving fast enough in many different areas. I would, I would say that in the education system. I'd say that in just how our political system is structured, and I definitely say that within the medical system. The challenge that we've always had is the technology exists in order to solve these problems, um, but the people that are controlling and making the decisions around how the system is set up are, quite frankly, just acting too slow. Yeah. They're not being innovative enough. They're not being disruptive enough in a time when we need that more than ever. And I don't see us getting any closer to that. I mean, I, I, 
at a conference back in January, and this is more to do with the education system, but the the provincial government, and no slag on them, I know they're trying, but they're all excited because we're finally introducing coding into the education system. And I'm like, guys, you got to blow up the whole thing. Like education yeah. isn't working anymore the way it used to. And same with healthcare. So I think that I, I, I would I would agree with, with the last caller that there's some major changes yeah. that need to happen. And I think that it starts with a discussion and it starts with... Um, people taking it seriously and those people that are in the position of power really truly listening and stepping down if they need to in order to put the control over to people who are able at, that to work um, to be agile enough to make some of those changes that need need to come. Well, there's going to be a lot of advancements I think in the next year because it's a billion dollar uh, you know cost for the government and of course yeah. they want to find savings. We're going to have to take a break but when we come back it's app of the week with Christina. You listen to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network, and we'll be back right after this. You're back on Get Connected. Andy Barrar here, filling in for Mike Agarbo, joined in studio with futurist Lindsay Smith and our app expert, Christina Stoinova. What do you got for us this week, Christina? I'm sorry, Andy. I'm going to disappoint you again this week. Let me guess. It's an iPhone app. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Totally. Go ahead. What is it? It's okay. So this app is called Aurora. And what it does is, is that it suggests um, podcasts for you. So if you're a podcast listener, they actually have people curating the best podcasts that are on right now. So it suggests episodes that you might enjoy. But what it also does is it, it learns what you listen to and it will suggest shows for you. Okay, I'm, I'm mad because I listen to podcasts all the time. And I always like have to ask my friends, like, what are you listening to? And yep. uh, that, that, that's a problem. And so this is kind of like the Netflix of podcasting because it understands what you're listening to and then makes recommendations. Yeah, it's I would call it a blend of Netflix and like Songza or Google Music because it learns what you're listening to and suggests shows that you might like. But there's also people curating lists on a weekly basis of episodes of podcasts that you might find so, interesting. So it's not just the podcast per se, it's certain episodes in a podcast. That's right. Ones that have, you know, that have had a big listenership this week that are especially interesting. There's actually humans curating those lists, which is kind of cool. You know, the, the whole concept of podcasting <laughs> is, is really interesting because it's really like old time radio of just listening to people. I actually, yeah, I would say the same thing. It is identical to what we're doing here. It's just through a different medium. And I find it fascinating that over time i mean radio and podcast is pretty much the same thing it's all over the internet i mean how many people from cknw are listening online a good yeah. majority are listening from all over the world so yeah. it's yeah it's it's the future yeah i don't think a lot of listeners know that this is also a podcast so if you miss an episode and you want to listen to it you can all you have to do is go to itunes you can go to cknw.com and find the links for the podcast of this show and uh, it's a great way, you know, you can't always listen live, but you can listen whenever you want, where you, wherever you want. Get unlimited amounts of Andy. <laughs> uh, Who podcast? wouldn't want that? <laughs> I know, I know. Who doesn't? Uh, what's your favorite podcast, uh, You know what? I'm new to the podcast game, but I just recently powered through the first season of Serial. Oh, okay. And I really, that was really enjoyed good. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How about you, Lindsay? Do you listen to podcasts? I have to admit, you'd think that I would, and I don't. So, so you know what I did at home? I got one of those, like, uh, it's called multi-room speakers. Yeah. Where you could put speakers, like, So you're just all, blasting podcasts. All over the house. So I got one in the living room, I got one in the kitchen, and I put one in the bathroom. <laughs> and you're not supposed to put speakers in the bathroom because of moisture and stuff, but I just wanted to, like, take a shower and listen to a podcast. And then when I, because it's multi-room, 
that music is everywhere. So when I get out and I'm cooking uh, breakfast, I'm still listening. So I have some suggestions of podcasts if you want. Because, I would love it. Uh, sure. Radio Lab, that's one of the most popular ones out there. This American Life, another great podcast. Um, Serial, of course. Yeah, which is part of the This American Life. Yeah, those those guys network. make some great podcasts. Yeah, and what, what are the topics? What are they? What's what's the? You would love Radio Lab because they they take on different topics. They did one about this uh, figure skater back in the early '90s, and what she did. She was a black uh, female figure skater. No one had ever seen it. And um, she would never win. She always gets second place. And, and they just they didn't like her style. She was too powerful, they said. And on her last, um, her last Olympics, it was in the Nagano Olympics, she fell. And she knew that this was her last uh, Olympics. And so what she did is did something you're not allowed to do in figure skating. She did a backflip. Backflip <laughs> on skates and landed on one skate. And you're not allowed because it's so dangerous. But right. she's like, this is my last. My last. And <laughs> Good you for go her. On, go on YouTube and check. <laughs> I had to Google it and watch it on YouTube. It was one of the most amazing athletic feats I have ever seen. Oh. And, um, you know, thanks, thanks to a podcast. That's all the time we have this week. I want to thank everybody for listening. And Lindsay Smith t- coming in today with Christina. Mike Eggerbo will be back next week. Thanks for listening to Get Connected. And we will see you next Saturday.